My friends, grace and peace be to you from Jesus Christ, the head of the church. And I bring you greetings and all manner of good wishes from the 360 churches of the Massachusetts Conference of the United Church of Christ. And within those 360, the regional body, the Metropolitan Boston Association of the Massachusetts Conference of the United Church of Christ. <laughs> Blessings be to you this day. I want to thank Kent and Elisa and church leaders for the invitation to be here and preach on this special day. It is good to be together to worship God and lift up our covenant connections as the body of Christ. It's also a delight to share in commissioning and blessing <laughs> Elisa in this role of associate pastor among you, and I look forward to witnessing how this shared ministry among you all bears fruit in the future. I celebrate who you are in the present, and I am praying for your vibrant future. So before we move to digging into this scripture text a little bit, I'd like you to reach out to your neighbor and say, thanks for being a part of this ministry. Reach out to each other. <laughs> Forgive my back. You're backing me up, right? So the topic for this sermon is, what would you do if you were brave? In preparation to be with you here today, I gathered some of your history as a congregation. Did you know that you have a line of bravery in your DNA? Back in 1870, the predecessor congregation of United Parish, known as the Harvard Congregational Church, voted to sell its building for the purpose of building a new building in this very location where we sit today. The first plans set an amount, a budget, for that project, and it was a set amount, but enthusiasm grew for the project, and it was voted that, now imagine this vote today. It was voted that, quote, all restrictions be rescinded, and said committee be authorized to proceed without restrictions or conditions. David, how do you feel about that as treasurer? <laughs> In other words, that vote gave permission for a blank check to the project of building this building. And that building was completed in 1873 and included the spire and tower of your current edifice. Brave decision. You have a line of bravery in your DNA. In 1931, in the heart of the Great Depression, a fire consumed the structure. Members of the church rebuilt, sustained the ministry through trying times of the Depression and through the hospitality of neighboring faith communities continued their ministry. Worship took place in the Jewish temple. When you had communion, it was in the Methodist church. Sunday school was held in the Baptist church. Not only did the church rebuild in the midst of tenuous economic times, 
they experience the blessings of generosity and interfaith networking. Brave, bold. You have a line of bravery in your DNA. To quote your website, in 1973, Brookline Protestant churches, the Harvard Church, St. Mark's Methodist Church, and the Baptist Church in Brookline merged in a bold ecumenical experiment that became the United Parish in Brookline. They brought together very denominational traditional styles, styles of worship, theological outlooks, yet they shared a faith in God made known in Jesus Christ, a commitment to the church, and a belief that they were called to something new." Quote. What these words do not convey is the years of conversation that led to that moment and a commitment to shed two buildings, meld choirs, share pastors, and be together as a new people. Brave, bold. Say that to your neighbor. When you take time to look at history, a truth emerges. Nothing stays the same. Each generation shapes purpose and makes traditions of its own by carrying some practice of the past forward to the next while other traditions fall aside when new ideas emerge. Sometimes all one needs is a tweak to a tradition here and a tweak there. Other times, a complete overhaul is called for. The author Phyllis Tickle, who died sadly this past year, has written about a historical overhaul that has happened in the Christian church. Historians like her note that every 500 years in the Christian tradition, the church has a rummage sale <laughs> and completely reimagines itself. Tickle names some hallmarks of this new thing that is emerging in our time now because we are in another rummage sale moment. She says it's radically Jesus-oriented. We're not shy about Jesus anymore. We're living the principles he taught and modeled. It's communal. 25% of folks who claim the name Christian are living in some form of shared community. Even monasticism is making a comeback. It's largely based in virtual reality as opposed to bricks and mortar. Hello, social media. It's post-denominational, post-Protestant, and it looks back to the first, second, and third centuries to find the passionate practices of the church in that time and weaves it into today. Phyllis Tickle would say, we're the lucky ones to be in this time of another 500-year rummage sale. 
And that means that we in this generation have some responsibility for what the Christian faith looks like moving forward. That's a lot of responsibility. Well, the story from Acts that we heard read gives churches like United Parish a lot of information about how to move this faith forward in as vibrant a way as possible. Here we find the disciples of Jesus finding their way in carrying that faith forward. And where we pick up the story, they are praying for boldness, asking God to make them bold. Now the context for that prayer is upon return from being questioned by the religious authorities of the day. Peter and John's preaching was so effective. But more than that, they were healing people in Jesus' name. And that made the authorities of the day nervous. Think about our day. I think if we were affecting healing or lifting up the ways in which we are affecting healing as the Christian church, we would make some politicians very nervous. Because politics doesn't feed on healing, it feeds on all of the above. I heard fear, I heard power, all of the above. But here in that day, healing, and people saw what they were doing in Jesus' name and they wanted to be a part of it. When the authorities told them to stop, they refused. But they did not stop there. They went back to their fellow believers and prayed for even more boldness. So when we look at these disciples, it's important to note two things. It took a death to shake things up. The death of Jesus brought them to be the, in this bold place. And that's the second thing. They were freed up to be brave and take risks. We cannot read this story of life after Jesus' resurrection without recognizing that the Christian church was born out of death. The one they were following was killed, executed by the occupying state, and caused them to flee in fear, as well as betray and abandon completely their principles. So it was no small matter that these disciples, who were huddled in a room, hunkered down on the day of Pentecost, waiting for the Spirit Jesus promised, it was no small matter that they emerged speaking boldly, bravely, once the first followers left that locked room, in the face of possible harm and even death, they got down to the business of spreading good news and living in the light of God's amazing grace and plenty. They had everything they needed, 
and they were willing to share with others. This fourth chapter of Acts charts the basic course of their movement making. It wasn't a program available for immediate download. It wasn't a pre-packaged plan available for only $49.95, but wait, there's more. It was and is a life of fire to tell the story of Jesus with boldness and to be of one heart and soul, holding all things in common so that the needs of the people are met. Going back to the first century, bravery is in our DNA. Jesus' simple guide for an abundant life and faithful community has been working well for two millennia. It's easy to contextualize, simple to follow, and provides proven results. When the principles practiced by the first century disciples are faithfully and fully implemented, the results are, 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 are abundant. You can tell when a congregation or worshiping community is working from this first century model. There's a real sense of common purpose, a generosity of spirit and resources, a desire to dig deeply into scripture and participate regularly in worship. There's intentional and ongoing faith formation. There's an open door and a hearty welcome, a spirit of mission and service all of which are covered liberally with prayer and praise. Does this sound like you, United Parish? Exalting, deepening, help me. <laughs> Stretching, <laughs> gathering. So if these principles are so foolproof and sure, why aren't we seeing them practiced more in our communities at large? Why isn't the good news spreading like wildfire today in the United States and other Western traditions? It is in developing nations and where poverty is crippling, but why not among the comfortable and affluent? These are good questions and ones we should ponder. And you can invite me back to preach a sermon on that. <laughs> but perhaps it has something to do with commitment and focus. Jesus demands 100%. He wants all of us. Not just an hour a week or a place in the pew for festival worship, and not just a few dollars in an offering plate or service on a boring committee. No, Jesus wants all of it, 100%, 24-7. Because this is good news we're talking about, life-changing, world-healing, saving news with eternal promises. It's not the latest fad or trend, it's real. And we have to be real about it because lives are at stake still. Let me tell you a story that illustrates how lives are still at stake 
in our world. In December 2014, the staff from across the United Church of Christ were gathered in Savannah, Georgia. We gather every other year to look at ministry and how we can foster the good news through our churches. Our meeting coincided with the news of the non-indictment of New York City police officers involved in the death of Eric Garner. That time also just happened to be one week after the non-indictment of officers in Ferguson, Missouri. It was also the time of the killing by police officers of 12-year-old Tamir Rice in Cleveland, Ohio. Clearly, communities in our country, ones our churches serve, were reeling at this news. And there we were, the United Church of Christ staff from across the country, all gathered in one place, in a hotel in downtown Savannah, Georgia. What should we do? What should we do? For those who wanted to figure out something in that moment, a special lunch was pulled together and a challenge was issued. What would you do if you were brave? What would you do if you were brave? And we were invited to self-identify and move into three different groups. So over here, we were invited, if you wanted to answer that question from your own front porch when you went back home, you were to gather over here. If you were ones that were feeling called to go to New York City or Ferguson, Missouri, or Cleveland, Ohio, then you were over in this group. If you were feeling called to write blogs, liturgy, sermons, you were invited to be over in this group. And in those groups, we had a circle of 10 to 20 people. And we were given a total of one minute one minute to answer that question with the last 10 seconds counted out loud one minute for 10 to 20 people to answer the question what would you do if you were brave 10 9 8 7 6 there would be no committee meetings to decide no organizing just commitment called forth in that moment in response to events where lives are still at stake and people of faith need to be heard and seen. Do you think every person in that circle came up with something in one minute? That's roughly five seconds for every person to name out loud what they would do if they were brave? Doggone it, everybody, everybody had something. I'm still living into mine of enacting racial justice training for our Massachusetts Conference churches. You can go to macucc.org to sign up. My friends, it may not be around issues of race, though it warmed my heart to see your Black Lives Matter 
banner on the front of the building. It may not be around issues of race that United Parish is called to be brave, but I can guarantee you that because you are committed to following Jesus, some bravery, some boldness, some courage will be called forth from you. This is the work that is ahead of you now, that you have stability in staffing. You are poised. You are ready. You have more than one minute to decide. You have a sense of mission and purpose to enact, and it's not the work of what do we need to do in order to keep on doing the things we've always done, even though we may forget why we have been doing them. No. The work is to connect with the why of your existence and step into that why fully, boldly, and bravely. Not so that this building stands another 143 years, but so that the transforming power of Jesus Christ can be seen and understood through the lives transformed by this gathered body. The work is to reconnect to the why of your existence so that people in Brookline are overheard to say, thank God for those good people at United Parish in Brookline. The work is to reconnect to the why of your existence so that, to quote your vision, you are a church exalting in worship deepening in spirituality and Christian faith, gathering in community, stretching into justice. I wait with bated breath to see how you answer the question, what would you do if you were brave? Amen. Amen.